Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, a show about business and some of the best beverages on the planet, where we hear stories and talk about the strategy in the process of building, growing, and actualizing an idea, all while sipping on some of our favorite beverages. The goal of this podcast, again, is to create leverage and learn how to get from where you are to where you want to go, whether that's in business, hobby turned into vocation, or other ventures. We want to explore that and extract as much value as we can. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and today we are joined by Lloyd Bashkin of Lloyd Scott and Company. Lloyd, how are you? Hey, I'm great, especially now that you're here. <laughs> That's great to hear, and Lloyd. you got the beers lined up, so I'm even better. I got them lined up. They're ready to go. They're on ice. <laughs> um, so again, we're here today to talk about business, and you are someone who has a lot of experience in business in, in many different facets, both as a, an owner and operator yourself as well as being someone who's very close to a lot of other owners and operators. Um, so if you could, um, let's give yourself an introduction to the people, let them know who you are and uh, the type of business that you run. Well, I have a consulting company and I work with businesses of all types, shapes, sizes, industries, doesn't matter. And I help them to get what they want faster and more with less risk and to be generally just way more successful. And if you had to boil it down into one statement, what do these businesses want? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> you said the questions are gonna be easy. <laughs> so, and what do they want? Um, they want, it depends on their motivation, but um, many people that own companies are just passionate about what they do. And whatever their motivation is, very often it's it's a, a kind of a deep sense of pride and accomplishment and being able to build their own to path, set their own direction, their own way. And this is very valuable, very important to a lot of business people. Sure. I feel like from a lot of people who are looking in at businesses from the outside, yeah, they often think that the primary motivator is is money and that's mm. definitely a motivator for sure yeah but in your experience how would you balance that the the, the monetary side versus yeah. the wanting to build something side oh it's uh, i think the monetary is way down on the list mm. way down most people that i encounter and myself included are motivated by an intrinsic desire to do something that intrinsically within them is driving them, motivating them. And um, they pursue that passion and hence the business. There are a group of people who are more monetary oriented. They tend to have a lot of money mm. and are looking to buy businesses and sure. leverage their money. They're farther in their careers and they've gotten away from the very hobby or interest or initial motivation that, uh, started them. And I get to see so many interesting, interesting, interesting uh, stories and companies over the years. It's one of those things where every time I meet someone nowadays, you realize that everybody has come from somewhere. Everyone has a story or <laughs> things of their past that kind of dictated the person that yeah. they become today that's yeah. standing or sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. So for, for you, Lloyd, what does that look like? Obviously, um, where you're at now, a lot of your past has played into that. Mm -hmm. So why don't you take us through kind of that, that lineage of where you started out 
spaces and, and jobs that you worked that got you to this point? Mm, interesting question. Well, my first job was I was about seven years old and I took molding mm. from baseboard molding, cut it into one foot pieces, and it's perfect for holding pencils. <laughs> I <went> around <laughs> selling pencil holders. I can't live that down today. My family reminds me of that and uh, with a great deal of embarrassment, and, but that's how I started. And you found out that that was your true passion, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> it's all downhill from there. <laughs> right, right. It was, yes. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I've always been interested in business. And I think part of it is I would listen to my family hmm. as, a, as a real little kid, listen to them talking about business. None of them owned businesses, but they, I think they wished they had. So I'd listen to my uncle, talk to my dad and my cousins, my older cousins, and I'd be sitting there fascinated by the conversation. Hmm. So that's what drew me in. And as time went on, I had these small, um, I started uh, doing lawns and uh, like a lot of kids do lawns and um, snow blowing up in New England where I grew up. And then the first real business that I started was a photography company with a, a neighbor of mine, a partner, R&B Photography. Hmm. And we did weddings and we would get hired. And that ended when one, and it ended internally. I could have gotten past this, but I did one wedding where I set the camera wrong mm. and it wasn't digital. So I didn't know until the photos came back wow. that the right half of them were cut off. And that was like, you know what? I better leave this to, uh, to others to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you, you learn your, you get your, uh, you learn your lessons along the way. And so. I guess in, in those experiences, both in, uh, some of the, the mm -hmm. mowing, mowing lawns, the, the yeah. pencil holders, yeah. the, the photography, yeah. And all those things you learned, however small, um, rules and um, how to operate a business on a very yeah. small scale. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned from some of those smaller? Well, let me give you another one. When, sure. I, went to, when I went to college, I leased the snack bar from the university and ran it. So I just paid them rent and I ran it. And we had beer license as well. So you'd be Talk, happy to know. I, I am very happy to hear that. And um, what I learned is uh, if you hire friends, just be prepared that money is going to disappear. You can't hmm. just simply. Yeah, it's very tempting if you're in a cash business. And so uh, so I, I learned that the hard way. Hmm. And would you say that's more common with friends than with other hires? If I had to guess, I would say yes. But I trusted them, so I didn't really put in controls like a normal business would have. I didn't have controls, right. uh, so I didn't think I needed it. I was definitely naive. <laughs> so, but I, I learned a lot doing that as well. And um, I had other. I, what I began to realize is that um, being independent was important to me. Hmm. Having jobs where. I had some control over what I was doing was important. And even the jobs I took had elements of, of that in there. Do you think that goes back to some of the earlier comments we made about businesses and how that's 
you know, on that list of things that business owners are looking for. Obviously, yeah. being profitable is one of those mm-hmm. things, but building something. Oh, and, yeah. And with that comes a great deal of independence. Yes. I think you nailed it, Greg. Independence is a big driver for a lot of people who have their own business. They don't want to be an employee. They don't want to be feel like they're being controlled. They don't want to be told what to do. And there's a piece of that in me. I don't like to be told what to do. Mm. So it, it kept me more in. I mean, I did work for a large company following this after after school, after graduating uh, colleges. And that um, taught me I didn't want to be an employee of a large company. And and what what bothered me was this was uh, GE slash RCA. They, mm-hmm. they were joined as one, then they separated and they joined back as one. And I found there were people who were at retirement age, maybe 61, who would um, all of a sudden find out that the company had let them go one year before their retirement kicked in. Mm-hmm. They, they, they would really screw up their planning and their money coming in. I saw that. And I, I also felt like, and this is my personal uh, need, the idea of being told, in two weeks, you're going to move to Indianapolis. Hmm. I mean, I'm about family and relationships. And I didn't want to do that. So I think out of desperation, I started. And I've always wanted to do consulting. When I went to school, I went to school for different disciplines. And that was all in preparation of being a consultant and feeling like I needed to know, have knowledge in those broader areas in order to do uh, the kind of job I wanted to do for my clients. So, so this has been a, a long time in the making. Oh yeah. Like you, you, you knew from a pretty early age, mm-hmm. and I guess what, yeah. what was that? So for people listening who are at a, a crossroads right now when yeah. maybe they have a, a few different things going on, they're like, Hey, I, I might want to do this. might want to do this. Or they just have simply no idea. They're entering college. Don't know what they should do. Right. Um, what I guess tips could you give to those people to say, Hey, here's maybe something to latch onto, or if you feel this way about something, maybe that's a hint as to the direction yeah. you might want to yeah. push. That's a really good question, Greg. You, you must be doing this professionally. Uh, I tried that's to. A really, that's a really good question. Um, finding, getting in touch with that, which motivates you, that, which interests you, that, which is your passion isn't always clear at first for some people it's very clear and for others it may show up as some vague subtle signs Hmm. but if we all stopped for a moment and started thinking about our day and our week and our month and our year what have been the better times for us has it been out on a lake canoeing has it been uh getting together with family getting together with friends has it been watching television? Has it been playing video games? Or is there some hobby or interest that, that kind of captivates a person's interest? And in there, subtly, may uh, lie a uh, hint as to what one's passion is. And exploring that, allowing it to come up to the surface, saying, hmm, I know, I know there's no job that let's just take uh, canoeing, for example. I just made that up. Mm -hmm. I know there's no job that's obvious to me 
that would be a professional career involving canoeing, but I love to canoe. Maybe one could then say, let me explore what are people doing now with canoes? And you look around and you say, oh, well, there's a rental place on the Schuylkill, which I'm not sure I would recommend as a first choice, given the <laughs> fish that tend to float sure. on the top of the Schuylkill, but we'll ignore that. Some say they're just sunbathing. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, We'll have to look for the little bikinis. <laughs> so, you know, one could say, let me see what is involved in canoeing so you, or kayaking. So you go and say, oh, there's some rental places. Let me go check them out. Let me go rent some from them. Oh, they sell them. Where do they sell them? Well, they sell them at Costco. They sell them at sports, Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, well, there are people who take trips. You look online, you find there are kayak canoeing trips where you sign up for, I'm making this up, but you sign up for a certain number of days, you meet with a group, you go down, down the river and, mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. And through that discovery, one might call it inquiry, inquiry into yourself and discovery into what constitutes the world of kayaking and canoeing you might find something that's interesting. So there may be a company, let's say locally, that makes them, which case you can go down and ask for an exploratory interview. Say, look, I'm not looking for a job, but I sense that somewhere in my future, this type of watercraft is somehow got to be a part of it. So generally the owners, if you're not looking for a job in particular, and just say, I, I'm just hoping to get a tour of your facility and educational, I'd say most of the time people would be very, very receptive to something like that. And you start to learn the new, all the little subtle elements of that particular industry matching what is likely, let's say for one person, a uh, passion. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. I think people often expect something to come out of nowhere, <laughs> hit them in the head and be like, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. When in reality, what you're describing of that, that process of discovery mm -hmm. is really the process that from the outside or looking in, in retrospect, right. seems like it was so obvious that I yeah. went to this kayaking place and just yeah. learned about their business. And then now I'm the head of this kayaking company years later right. because it's in right. it seems so clear looking yes. back yes but to think that it might have some impact now going forward it's very hard to to pick on that so i think yes for those people who are exploring or looking for yes. what is that next step yes. yes try a bunch of things yes and i think I that, like that. The, the process of college nowadays is different in that you're almost expected to coming straight out of high school, know what you want to do, pick it right then and there, become educated in that, and then do that for the rest of your life where people who I, people are still figuring out, even in their 50s, what they want to do. And that's fine. You know what I mean? It's 100% fine. Yeah. Um, but I think that that process of discovery or at least being open to trying a bunch of things yes. and taking that yes. leap of faith on that yes. one day to go say, hey, yes. I wasn't invited, but I'm going to go down to this hacking company and see if I can get in and they'll show me around. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that initiative is huge. I yes. think. Yes. Yes. You mentioned something about your family um, when you were younger. 
about how they were interested or wish they owned a business, not having owned one. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they wished they owned a business? Well, uh, just a sense I got, plus my older cousin, when I started to get to the age of wanting to do something professionally, he kept saying, can I be your partner? Can I be your partner? Mm. (laughs) That was a big tip. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think just knowing their personalities, um, my dad was an independent, he sold, believe it or not, mattresses to stores from a manufacturer in New England to stores, and he was quite successful. And that gave him independence. And that's another way to get independence without actually owning your own business is to have a sure. job like that. Um, but I think, uh, and then and my uncle was a uh, tremendous organic chemist research. He developed products that we use in the household today even the lcd screen Hmm. he had me out catching fireflies um in the back of his house when i was a kid putting them in a jar giving him and he turned that into the science and the chemistry behind lcd screens that we all use today Hmm. were from those fireflies and later on when he um had left the company he was with he was saying hey let's develop something together so there was just a lot of kind of uh late in life for them uh entrepreneurial interest and so that's so with, with that theme of independence yeah is that something that you think all people want it seems like you know some people are very comfortable working their yeah. normal day job exactly but do you think that deep down if it was a possibility or they saw some light they would choose the independent route I'm not sure about that. I Mm. think there are people who prefer the comfort Mm. and the structure of working for a company. And it is frightening to a lot of them to even consider taking the risk of doing something on your own. It's a very, it's, there's some risk to Mm. it. Risk can be minimized and we could talk about that later if you want, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's for everybody. And there's another dynamic that happens, the personality of wanting to feel in control, to have independence, uh, to be able to apply one's own resources and creativity can get a business started very, very well. But there is a point, and this is probably true for most companies, almost all, I'll say almost all, but not all, most where that same mindset starts to work against the business. Hmm. And um, I want to pick the right term. Um, it becomes sort of like a, a dis- self-destruction process. Hmm. And so the clients that I see, if they are early in the process and haven't, it, it's that need to control and be independent so much so that they can't work with other people well, Mm. then they start to self-destruct from within. Mm. And so my job for some of these people, it depends on where they're at, is to help them be more at ease and look at things as a team. So clients that are willing, we set up what's called the dynamic process where we set up a strategy team. 
the CEO and top, top people. It could be a very small company of a handful of people, or it could be a very large company. And that's designed not to turn it into a democracy, but to turn, to empower people and to educate people so that someone, let's say part of the strategy team, understands what the other person is doing hmm. and that they're on the same page. And being on the same page is critical the more employees you add. There's any slight deviation and they start working against each other. So it's critical that they're on the exact same page. And so as a CEO that's mindful and receptive to change will start to relax and invite their top staff to participate. Hmm. And if that happens, I have clients that have been doing that uh, for quite a while with me, and we maintain those strategy teams. I facilitate them, and there are clients who have just dominated their industries, become number one in their industries when they were unheard of previously. Hmm. And having a strategy team like that is critical. That's the one um, secret sauce that um, I've seen work beautifully in that di what I call dynamic process. But that's to counter this, to bringing it back, that sort of counters the CEO's natural instinct to want to be independent and want to control and want to right. grow because they know more. They got the skills. Well, they do to a point. Mm. But if it, they rely on that solely, then uh, they're setting themselves up for yeah, risk. Does I, that make sense, Greg? hundred percent. I can see where that could be difficult, a difficult pill to swallow for mm -hmm. people of certain proclivities who are just <laughs> right, like right. so ingrained in doing things themselves. Right. And it's a really interesting dichotomy of I, right. I'm, do, I'm starting this business or I'm going on this adventure of pursuing this business idea because I fiercely want this independence but the dichotomy and like the almost yeah. catch 22 is in order to yeah. get the independence in the most fulfilled way, yes. I have to rely on others. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Right. So, Which is counter to what their natural motivation yeah. inclinations are. So I think, I think probably a large facet of becoming a business owner is learning to focus on the larger picture and trust, like you're saying, that strategic team um, in keeping the boat straight. And right. in taking taking control right. of certain things right. that you can't have your hands in because you don't have the time to. Right. And agreeing and believing and um, having faith that you are on that same team and right. meeting ever so often to make sure you still are aligned in, the, right. in those goals. Right. Yes. And it's the process of transition from sole entrepreneur, even if they have some employees, but really where I call it like sole entrepreneur because, because um, everything revolves around the entrepreneur. It's that transition that's not easy. And mm. it does take outside help m most of the time. And to not get that outside help can put the company at risk because someone needs to help that organization do a cultural change. We, we hear the word culture a lot in business. This is a gigantic cultural change. And I've watched businesses that have not chosen to go through this 
I've watched him self-destruct. I mean, yeah. It, it seems to me that that's correct. That, that yeah. transition from being a sole person to, okay, yes, this is operating. This right. might have cash flow right, right now. Right. But how do we actually turn this into a business? Right. So if I did have to step away for a week, it can it's kind of still running. You know right. what I mean? Right. And what would you say from from your experience in, in, in consulting? What are some of the, the biggest missteps of people mm. in, in that range when, when stepping off one stone to that next stone of sole entrepreneur to business? What, what's the, what's the biggest misstep that you commonly see? Um, they try to control the process. They know intellectually that a cultural change needs to happen. Hmm. Intellectually, they know that. But emotionally, internally, they have a hard time accepting it. Hmm. So they talk, oh, yeah, we got to do this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give you responsibility for that The other to, to other people, right? But emotionally is not in step with their intellect. So there's this disconnect between their intellect and their emotion. Hmm. And they can't hide it. They can't hide their emotion, but they think they're using their old techniques of controlling it, but they think they're different this time because they understand the process, but they understand it intellectually. Hmm. They don't understand it emotionally and relationship wise in terms of does that make sense? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, it does. And then how would you juxtapose that to, say, a different business that might have two or three or four people who are on this path together that are then moving into that next stage? <laughs> uh, is, that in your, is that more difficult? Is that similarly difficult? Is it, um, how would you describe that? That's a really good question because a lot of businesses are not just started with one person. Uh, it depends on the relationship between the groups. Um, I generally think uh, a few, three or four people starting a business or early in their business cycle is, are probably in a better position than one person hmm. because they've had to learn how to negotiate some stuff to move forward. Now, there are companies where there are exceptions to that. I've seen some where they're at each other's throat so much so that it's, it's almost impossible to really break that to help them. But <clears throat> most of the people that start in groups are probably in a better position. Hmm. And I'm thinking of the clients I have that have started with three or four people and uh, it's, it's really worked out well. So when, when you work with a business, what is, um, I'm sure it's all across the board, mm. but is there any point um, in the life cycle of a business? So from just starting out that transition phase that we just spoke about mm -hmm. towards, hey, you know, the business is kind of booming, but it really could, you know, use some new, uh, some new life or some new energy. Mm -hmm. um, most of the businesses you work with, where do they fall on that continuum? Or what's the split, I guess you could say? And where, where they are in their life cycle, shall yeah. we say? Well, the, over the years, the businesses I've worked with are quite large and small. It's, it's, it's a large spectrum. So some of the companies I've worked with are uh, Fortune 20s, mm -hmm. uh, General Motors, for example, um, you know, among, among many, many others that are that size. I've gotten away from that 
in the last uh, 10 years or so at a preference. So I've tended to the small and medium sized company. Um, but where they are in their life cycle kind of really varies. And I think your show is, is directed more to the smaller mm. business. So let's keep it sure. with that. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I have clients at all different stages from uh, the early transition that we were talking about to, to points where they get to be mid-size. And they've got uh, 50, 100, many, many hundreds of employees. It depends on how far they, they take it. And uh, one of the things I think that starts to introduce that one of the powerful tools uh, and the things that can interfere with a company is marketing hmm. and business strategy, sort of marketing strategy, business right. strategy and pricing. Because when you first start out and you're small, your market share is teeny. Um, generally, your market share is teeny. There are other companies doing what you're doing or similar to what you're doing. And you don't need much generally to be successful because maybe you only have a small number of employees. So you can have a teeny share of the market and um, enjoy uh, success. As you grow, generally your market share is getting bigger and bigger. In order to capture that market share, marketing and branding starts to come into the picture. And a lot of companies think of themselves as the young company they were and not realize that as they've been growing, they're now in a different arena, often competing for a different customer, with a different mindset and different expectation and different needs and competing against companies that are more sophisticated mm. than when they were smaller. Right. So it's almost like that proverbial frog in the hot water that you generally heat up <laughs> and they don't, they don't understand that the, yeah. the, the surroundings, the market yeah. itself around them is changing right. when they're just sitting yeah. there. Well, I'm from New England originally. So I think of it as the proverbial lobster. <laughs> <laughs> You can tell them uh, I, <laughs> I, I miss those New England lobsters, but um, yeah, so they, they often don't realize it. You know, it's, it's like for me, sometimes I'll wear some certain clothing and my kids will look at me and go, dad, that's, you've had that for years. That's throw that out. You know, it's mm. like, I don't even see it because hmm. I'm in it. Right. And I throw it out. I get another one. I'm like, oh, this is really kind of cool. I feel mm. good now, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of businesses don't realize that they, as you said, with the uh, hot water and the lobster, they are in a different arena. So marketing and branding becomes uh, and other strategic elements mm. become very important. And in order to capture and maintain market share, one has to outsmart the competition or at least be really good. And that combination, and this is really what I'm going to say to you, Greg, is something that I have felt, I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've felt very strongly about it over the years, that you can take almost any company, and I say almost, because there are going to be exceptions, but you can take almost any company and do two things. And if you do those two things well, you will absolutely um leapfrog 
go back to the frog, frog metaphor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll absolutely leapfrog your competition. I've seen it. I've seen it in my clients, client after client after client. And uh, not all clients are up for it, but most of them are mm. once they start to kind of get into it and see. And that those two things are one is culture. And by culture, I mean the strategy team concept. It's, it's what I refer to as a dynamic organization, not a static, but mm. dynamic that gets built with that strategy team. And if one person on the team disagrees, the team talks about it to resolve it and thereby learn from each other mm. and get on the same page. Extraordinarily powerful. And the other element is marketing and branding. If companies take a, a look at their branding and marketing, they can change their image overnight. And I've seen uh, clients, companies uh, that have modified their branding. And I don't mean just logo. Branding is, I'll define it as the customer's experience. Mm. The customer's experience. A lot of it is visual, but not all of it is visual. So by addressing the branding and the customer's experience, including the visual and orchestrating something that really meets the customer's needs, you can't just change your brand and think, oh, I changed my brand. Look how slick this looks. Well, that's not very helpful. The whole idea is to figure out what the market needs, what the market wants, what position do you want in that market? and to create a brand that captures that and then to to express the brand visually and in all other forms of communication so i've seen companies that have done both the cultural change and the marketing and branding and they've leapfrogged their, i mean they've gone from various starting points hmm. to leaders the largest in in their industry and it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. And the thing that gets in the way can be the entrepreneur's resistance mm. to change, need for independence, need to control and feel like they're doing everything. And I feel like, like you said, that the first part, the strategic team yeah. and being willing to, to talk through things, Right? are there just certain people in these groups who are just predisposed to not want to discuss or not take on the opinions of others and consider them with some some weight and what happens there i mean it seems like it's going to be a downward spiral at that point it, it is and i i'm pleased and happy that most of my clients don't are not stuck like that but there mm -hmm. can be i have encountered you know i tell i tell clients that if we're getting along the CEO and I, and there's some mm. comfort and trust, uh, chances are we're going to have a very successful relationship and your company is going to be even more successful than it is now. But if we're not getting along, and really what I mean by that is that I can't penetrate that defensive barrier that people can put up to maintain that what feels to, to them the independence and the control that they need then i can't help them hmm. and so i've had some people come in 
the relationships don't last that long. And very often I'll just say, I, I don't think I can uh, help you. But for those that we start to develop a rapport and there's trust mm. and they start to open up to the possibility of, of seeing things in, in, in different ways, um, then uh, their path is, 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 is completely different and very successful, generally very, very successful. And then how about the, the marketing and branding side? It's, it's interesting. I've always seen, you know, mm -hmm. billboards, commercials and stuff on, right. on the visual part of the branding. Right. That's what people say. What would you, what would you say, or what are companies? I'm sure you notice the same things. Like you see ads or you see mm -hmm. companies that you like and say, wow, that's right. really, it's really well done based on my right. experience, et cetera. Um, what are some brands that you think do a good job in, in some of these spaces, whether they're huge brands, mm -hmm. whether they're smaller local brands, um, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever the case is. Um, let's, let me think about that. That's, that's a good question. Um, well, um, there's a, there's a company called great plumbers, hmm. uh, located in South Jersey and incorporated into their name is their brand position. Great. And that, which they do, they're defining the product that they're offering in the service, which is plumbing. So great plumbers. And it, their visual image is very simple, but very powerful and very large and easy to remember. Now contrast that with a company, let's say that might uh, have XYZ something, and then under plumbing, heating, air conditioning, mm. you have two layers of information that you've got to communicate and remember. So if they're called, I'll make something up. Uh, uh, AW uh, commercial, I made that up, but you know, AW commercial, maybe they do commercial plumbing. Um, and you have to remember the name and you have to remember what they do and what their position is in the market. Are they high end? Are they fast? Are they, you know, what is different about them? So if you can get across the name in the name, um, the industry and what you do in the position and you get the cross in the name and keep the logo simple, it's a very powerful, very, very powerful, memorable combination. And what other mistake that's made often in that visual is people will come up with a mark, a design, which they believe captures the visually captures what their company is all about. But then think of it from the uh, viewer's perspective, you've got to remember the name of the company and that visual mark, that visual design. Mm. You got to remember two things. So they automatically have, have doubled, essentially doubled their marketing budget to get you to remember their brand. Mm. Whereas if it's all incorporated in one, then um, you've saved a whole heck of a lot of money. Big companies make that mistake all the time. Hmm. As they, you can see as they get older and more mature, some of the big companies figure it out, but many small companies don't, don't even think about that. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Let's kind of riff with this example for a second, because this is pretty yeah. interesting. Um, so say that example you use, the yeah. great plumbers. Yeah. Um, what if they're, I don't know if this is true or not, but what if their sole business was plumbing? 
right versus say you had a business with that name right but they also did plumbing heating cooling right. whatever else yeah what does your instinct tell you about that as far as those those two things is or i guess in general if you kind of expand this out a little bit when do companies often bite off more than they could chew or should they like for example should a, a specific company in a specific region focus on one thing doing it extremely well mm -hmm. or diluting that slightly by doing other services and maybe also diluting what, how the customer sees them in what they provide mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good question you ask a lot of good questions I, I, I try you I must try. know something about I, business <laughs> <laughs> i try to keep up with you lloyd <laughs> um that's really excellent because i think one of the one of the things what i hear from your question is how, how i hear two things one is how specialized should a company get is mm. it is there such thing as being too specialized or too broad and how does that play out in general in the year 2022 things are pretty competitive out there mm. so being as specialized as pro as possible has has a lot of strength to it has a lot of strength to it uh and if one can do if one can specialize and do it better than any of their competitors they've got a big advantage now the trick is if there's no market for that specialty mm. then forget about it you're wasting your time mm. you know and so let me see if i can think of an example lobsters so if, if a company said where specialty is uh lobsters with mustard that's all we do lobster and mustard combinations and people went oh that doesn't taste very good they're doing it better than anyone else but it doesn't match what the market wants let's mm. just say then they're wasting their time but if they said new england lobsters and they forgot about crabs and clams they just went for that one item if as long as there's a big enough market and as long as they focus their resources and their talents to do it better than anyone else there should be they should that's a successful combination yeah i think that's very important it's it's good to to try to ensure that whatever mm -hmm. service you're providing mm -hmm. is a service that is something people need <laughs> yeah right it sounds kind of basic right. but holy I, I i would <laughs> yeah I, I it would seem that though a lot of businesses might have an idea of whoa i kind of like this combination like going back lobster to mustard i, I really like that but maybe nobody else likes it <laughs> and so they're like i want to provide and do this business because no one else is doing it right but maybe there's a reason why no one right, else right, is doing right. it you know right, right. So do, exactly. do you see that a lot? I mean, if, there, if there's people that, that come to you with, with um, business ideas mm -hmm. and they're like, hey, and I'm, has, has there been times where you have been, you know, I'm just not sure there's a market for that. Yeah, I, I don't see it that often. Hmm. But yes, there are times where I can't, I can't find a market or can't see it happening. That could be my limitation. Maybe I'm not looking in the right places or considering it sure. properly, but um, from research uh, that we might do. Um, and so I encourage them to look around and ask people, 
neutrally ask them. Don't say, hey, how would you like a lobster with mustard? <laughs> <laughs> say, do you, what kind of seafood do you like? Right. Oh, no, no, no. oh, lobster. Okay. How do you tell me about what kind of lobsters you prefer? Oh, okay. What kind of sauce? Have you ever had sauces on your lobster? Oh, yeah. I've had and undoubtedly, <laughs> I'll guess nobody's going to have a lobster with mustard. I've, <laughs> I've never had it. And then you start to learn what their level of interest is. And then at some point, and I love this technique. There's a technique that uh, another secret sauce technique is to have focus groups and serve lobsters and have toppings mm. mixed in with the mustard are other toppings, say hot drawn butter mm. or uh, other uh, tartar sauce or things that people might use and have it out labeled nicely and and let them enjoy their lobster and see what they choose. And then ask them, so what'd you think? And you'll hear people say, oh, you know, you'll know that that mustard is, is, <laughs> is, is a good product or not. Right. Now, sometimes it has to do with packaging and marketing. So for example, I have a company that, a client that made a food product, failed on the shelves. So we, um, redesigned the packaging, uh, redesigned the branding name of the product and the whole visual look and changed where in the supermarket it was being displayed. When we did a focus group first, in fact, we did, we did uh, in-store uh, uh, research by having people walk by the department and then saying, oh, which one would you buy? And filling out a questionnaire about what they thought about different products nobody was choosing it so we did a focus group nobody chose it we put competitors out about nine competitors nobody really chose it it was last or close to last on the list so we redid it redid the focus groups and put the product in with the same other products and it became number one hmm. because of what we learned in the initial research and in the initial focus groups about what people were looking for and what they didn't see and did see. So don't give up if you're thinking, if your product isn't taking off, it could simply be uh, positioning or packaging or branding or communicating uh, different elements of that, of mm. that product. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think sometimes people, you know, want to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. and like, you know, uh, this it's not working. The product must be not a good product, but you know, it's somewhat of a good product because other ones in that same class are doing well. So yeah. maybe if we just slightly change things, right. we can get it to top of class right. in that particular sector. As long as those changes are a closer match mm. to what the market wants. Mm. And it's usually easy to figure out, but you have to keep an open mind and go through some re research techniques that may not be obvious you can't walk up to somebody and say do you like lobster with mustard i mean you could but it's, <laughs> it's not ideal so it, what that shit says to me is you know there's i'm sure companies have been in that position and they've done that over and over and over again tried to slightly change how yeah. they look yeah um and one word that sticks out to me as a um, a quality in an entrepreneur or is, is grit, the, the willingness mm -hmm. to kind of yeah. 
have that stick to itiveness and, and yeah. be there and continue to push. If there's belief in the product, there's proof of concept for the product. Right. To kind of stick with it. Yeah. Um, and does that concur with what you've seen over the years of, and what are the biggest qualities, I guess, of the businesses that you've consulted with factors or qualities that stick out in, in the people themselves that end up in a successful position? Um, I, I like what you're saying. I think being the tenacity, stick-to-itiveness, grit, hard work, conviction, those kinds of things are all very, very, very important. You can't approach it as a part-time endeavor. You got to have, your heart has to be into it. And I think if you, regardless of how much time you have, I mean, you could do it part-time if you're already employed, you want to start it part-time, but your heart has to be into it. If your mm. heart's into it, the rest will follow. Mm. If it's just a job or just a way to make money, yeah, yeah, chances of success not as high. Mm. Yeah, you you mentioned something earlier. I was going to go back to if you want. You said said sure. when we were talking about branding, about the broadness. Uh, when I said great plumbers, mm. you said yeah. what if yeah, they yeah. add uh, heating and ventilation or uh, other electrical services? If you brand too narrowly and you call a company great plumbers, then you decide to add other services that's outside of plumbing, mm. gets complicated. Sure. So it's helpful to sort of really think through what your playing field is gonna be. So I have a client that um, is in um, oil, uh, fuel oil, and their brand is, says their uh, oil is, is directly in their brand. Well, over the years, they started offering services in heating, air conditioning, and, mm -hmm. and they're stuck now with uh, brand position when they ask their many, many thousands of customers, uh, when their customers think about their company, they think oil. And this is South Jersey. So you have big service companies like Horizon coming in mm -hmm. the market and so forth. Uh, and yet this oil company has thousands of customers that can use their service that end up calling other places because they don't really know, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah. So sometimes you can be too narrow or too broad and you, you, I guess there's no trick other than really think carefully what you think your playing field is. And right. in general, I'd advise going for a smaller playing field than a larger one if you right. had to make a choice. So it's like, and in the oil example, it was almost they pigeonhole themselves yeah. into this one. And then yeah. as the technology changed around that and they went either with cleaner things or whatever the case was, or they expand to other areas such as the heating and cooling in their customers' minds, they're still an oil company. Yes. And so it's, it's, in one, it's a weird thing. It's almost like a double-edged sword because in one way it's like they did their job correctly. You know, when, when they think of the brand, they think that, which was their initial intention, but the market's changed. Market's changed, exactly. And so now they are in a position where they almost have to rebrand in a way in which they try to keep that same, or at least the initial customer base, yeah. while also being open to bringing on new people and their branding has to be welcoming towards that. Yes, exactly. In fact, it's reminding me, one of my first clients, uh, second or third client was an oil company going way back. 
and oil was everywhere. There were mm. oil companies all over the place because most people right. down here in South Jersey, let's say, or Philadelphia used oil. Mm -hmm. So it was a tremendous business, but then people started switching to gas. And as they switched to gas, the oil company, oil distributors started to shrink. So mm. they needed something else to do. Sure. So service became that much more important to them. And therefore, depending upon how they do their marketing, their rest is history. So Lloyd, you're a beer expert from what I hear. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I know the difference in beer and wine. <laughs> <laughs> so this here, and I would honestly, I would love your perspective on the branding. Oh, okay. And everything. So this is Fiddlehead IPA. This is one of my favorite IPAs from mm -hmm. up north um, in Vermont area. Oh, Vermont, New England. From New England. Love it. So I, love I figured you, you might like this one. I do already. Um, so when you, when you see this can, I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the you know, the beer itself and how it tastes and stuff, but what sticks out to you by just looking at it? Well, I think the colors, it's, it's a green, a lot of heavy green, different shades of green, which is nice. Mm. Uh, green isn't always the first most popular color. Like you'll see a lot of reds and blues right. and blacks and grays. So I think that's interesting. Um, it's easy to read. So when they have fiddlehead and IPA underneath, it tells me, certainly the type of beer. Uh, now, Fiddlehead is telling me something. I'm not sure what it's telling me. Although when I picture Vermont, which they feature fairly prominently, Shelburne, Vermont, I think of Fiddlehead as a jug band or a bluegrass band. <laughs> right. I figure someone in the company must be a musician. Hmm. And given the fact that I'm a musician, I like it already. It's from New England, so I'm. <laughs> You're set. <laughs> I would love to hear what you think about it. It's really good. It's really good. I am not a beer expert, but mm. I really like this. It's. I think it's really good. But I'm predisposed to it now, as for all the reasons. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned. It's very good. It's. Uh, it's smooth. Mm. Um has a little bit of a sweetness mm. to it. A lot of flavor. But like citrus. citrus. Is that it? Yeah. Just I was just saying citrus. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for prompting me. <laughs> citrus, a little bit of melon. It's very, very good. Very good. I like it. I will go out and buy this again. It's actually very well priced as well. Mm, okay. So typically for some of the more sought after beers from new England, you'll, you'll pay for a four pack of 16 ounce cans. Mm -hmm. You might pay 18 to $22 for a four pack. Wow. This four pack, which I think is, this is a awesome beer with yeah. just as good or if not better beer. Yeah. And this is priced at 1399. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can't, can't lose on that one. What's interesting too is Vermont is very well known for their beer. And so, from a marketing perspective, it's pretty interesting because yeah. having Vermont on the can is mm -hmm. almost like a, a a head nod to, oh, this is probably pretty good beer. Interesting. And is there a reason in particular that you're familiar with, Greg, as to why Vermont and New England are? Well, currently, I think per for any state, I'm pretty sure they have the most breweries per capita. Mm-hmm. And also some of the most highly regarded beers that you're talking 
mm-hmm. breweries like The Alchemist or Hill Farmstead or mm-hmm. Lawson's Finest Liquids, mm-hmm. they're all within like an hour drive. Wow. So they're all located yeah. there. A lot of this style, uh, which is like a New England style IPA, mm-hmm. was essentially created by um, it was yeast was like first used and I think captured up there. So, mm. um, but I think this is an exceptional beer. I really do enjoy it. There's actually a, a double IPA version of this one called mm-hmm. Se- Second Fiddle. <laughs> is the is the, the double IPA version? So, well, I like them. They have a good sense of humor. Yeah, it's it's pretty common in the in the brewing industry. Honestly, you'll you would have a, honestly you would have a great time going to some local beer stores. Yeah. And it's like a crash course in marketing because you wow. see all the cans and the labels and stuff on the shelves. Yeah. It's pretty, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. So talk about trying to capture market share. Mm. It's, it's a very interesting discussion where yeah. you're on a shelf now with hundreds or thousands wow. of other beers. Wow. How do you stick out in that yeah. environment? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, this is a pretty subdued label compared yeah. to some. Some right. are all kinds of bright colors. Right. And so it's like, where do you go? Like, do you try to go the more basic route? Because now people are almost attuned to picking these beers that have these crazy labels. And so right. do, do you lean into that or do you go against it? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, I think that's a really good point. If everyone is going in one direction, instinctively, I would agree with you. I would tend to look in an opposite direction mm. and you stand out more and there I'm, I'm trying to think if there are really good examples of uh well this this is a good one um i in the photography i i do mm. um i've been moving more toward black and white yeah because everything's bright and colorful and yeah. strong and you throw black and white and they go like oh that's pretty cool how about that you know so you, you're, you're so, so, so your photography that started uh-huh. with your wedding photography but you you still do that on a on a a personal basis um i do photography professionally and personally but not weddings Mm. um sorry (laughs) (laughs) but i do uh i do commercial for our clients so the clients that want to do branding the photo evokes um can evoke certain emotions and communicate certain messages and so being working with clients in developing that brand position, I, I think it helps to know that while taking the photographs for brand position, the brand, the important photographs, the ones that's going to, that will lead the website and really establish the brand. I think it helps to know that because mm. you can get a lot through visually. Uh, it's pretty well believed that about 80% of communication is visual, which means only 20% of your audience brain right now is listening to this podcast. The other 80% is looking at something else. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. How does, how does that play into marketing strategy nowadays? It seems like if every company is using a lot of these techniques as far yeah, as right. trying to gain market share, right? is there like a, a saturation point or a point where the companies have to either ramp up to stand out or if everyone's using similar marketing techniques, Mm -hmm. how does that play out? It's ugly. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it's not pretty. Um, The, the whole um, idea, I, I believe the opportunity lies in figuring out ways to separate 
the company, separate oneself, mm. and to then also connect with in the marketing, connect with customers in, in a unique way. Mm. And that combination can be very powerful. But if you do things just like everybody else, you're probably wasting your time. Mm. That's why direct mail now, for example, is um, a big deal because everybody's on doing electronic in person answering um answering the phone live for a right. business i mean how many business put you through these crazy phone things i just want to do business with someone that answers the phone i don't yeah. care what they're selling if they answer the phone i'll buy it so, so, <laughs> so yeah this is a very interesting point because it's almost like these these things of the early 2000s which were the yeah. initial ways to market whether right. that's email direct right. mail just talking to somebody on the phone that was kind of pushed away during this whole time even up till today mm -hmm. so it's almost like these are so seldom used that mm -hmm. they're actually effective again well with the exception of email right sure you probably meant that's that's the more modern right version right. but the direct mails hardly used and the uh and which is i think why it's having a resurgence uh we just i just saw the other day um fmi uh, direct up in uh, uh, Northeast Philly do a presentation on why direct mail is is coming back. And it made a, made a lot of sense because it goes the opposite direction. Hmm. You want to go the opposite direction as long as the opposite direction meets the customer's needs. Hmm. Can't stress, stress that enough. If it doesn't meet their needs, you're wasting your time. But there are all kinds of stuff from You're exactly right from even answering the phone live costs money. But that's your connection with your customer. And if you can't connect on a deeper level quickly, forget, forget about it. You're just wasting your time. How do, you, how do you talk to your customers about growth? So say they come to you and they're like, I, I want to grow my business, which I'm sure is a concern of theirs. Oh, yeah. Something they want oh, to yeah. do. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, do they have a specific reason why they want to grow or is it typically just to grow? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm on this trajectory of growth. I just have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if we're looking at it from a success standpoint and how we define success, both from personal basis, I, I'm in a position where I'm building something. I feel good about that. Mm -hmm. And Maybe I'm at a point right now where my work-life balance is really good. I have, you know, I, I've spent time with my family, my kids, and I still have this business. It's growing. What, where's the balance there between just pushing and, and obsessing over growth for the sake of growth? Mm -hmm. And then, um, or kind of saying, hey, we're at a good spot with the this, this, this slow but steady growth that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it's this years ago, I would have guessed growth would be a big motivator, but I'm finding more and more clients are interested in quality of life. Mm. So they don't necessarily want more revenue. They'd certainly like to make more profit and keep things stable. They're tired of the disruptions that can happen with shifts in market mm. changes in the economy and so forth. So for a lot of clients, growth is not number one anymore. It's uh stability and um consistency and peace of mind and comfort 
and security, those things are becoming far more important, uh, much more important than they were in the past. So, and, and let's talk about, you know, the name of this podcast is Leverage and Beverage. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about leverage, we talk about really finding a differentiator mm-hmm. and then exploiting that to the hilt in order to turn that into some type of success, whether that's monetarily mm-hmm. a quality of life. Mm-hmm. So for you personally, and then maybe some of your clients, what are some of the biggest points of leverage that you've had over the years where either an opportunity presented itself and you had to think strategically about it? Like, oh, here's this opportunity I'm presented with, and this could be great, or it's at least at least good, but I can make it great. And what things similar to that have your employees or rather um, clients gone through? That's a really interesting question. And, and I almost need to uh, think about it for just a minute. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to beer for a second then while you're thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I want to think of some examples and, and uh, hear what's uh, uh, points of leverage that um, that would differentiate. And, sure and, and even like, we're off now, right? No, we're still going. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were but the thing is here, uh, maybe I'll let me clarify the question because what I mean by that is like we talked about the kayak example yeah, early on right, right. where there's things out there that I could be doing right. to put myself in a better position. Right. And one day I see something and there's an opportunity Right. And now I have the skills necessary to take advantage of said opportunity. Right. And just trying to create as many of these opportunities as possible right. by working towards that, by putting myself out there, by doing X, Y, and Z. That's create like opportunity is like the biggest thing. Right. Because it allows you to progress in whatever you're doing. And so right. if we, by our own actions, can say, yeah. okay, I can, cr- I can, by my actions, create more of these opportunities then right. we're creating more points of leverage going forward right. to grow into something that's right. larger, better, or right. just what we, what we envisioned. Right. Well, are you thinking more in terms of a company first starting that hasn't defined its business yet? Or are you thinking a company that's already established and has a, a nice solid uh, business? So I guess, I guess for you in particular, I'm talking about like at what point maybe initially you might've had say 15 or, or 20 clients and then something happened where, you know, oh. you, you, you started a, a new, you added a, a new piece on to your business that really allowed you to accelerate or something mm. along those lines. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah, there is, there is no one thing that I can point to that really jump, jump started my business, although I I will say this, and this is slightly off topic from what you're saying, but it has to do with searching for those points of leverage. Mm. When I look back after a certain number of years, when when I had reflected after a certain number of years on, I I thought to myself, how the heck did I ever get this thing started? Mm. I don't know what the heck I was doing. You know, I've never worked for, I worked for a big company for many years as a strategist and I ran part of their sales and marketing. So I felt comfortable. Technically, I used to teach MBA students and uh, at Drexel and Temple Universities. 
And so technically I understood, but I've never worked at a consulting company. Hmm. I had no idea what it's supposed to look like or feel like or anything. <laughs> right. So I just started up, I walked into a, a business meeting at a chamber of commerce, walked out with a client that don't know how that happened. And, um, <laughs> and when I look back, I think, Oh my gosh, how the heck did, did I ever start this thing? Yeah. I mean, the amount of learning I felt like I had to do and new situations and bumps and road bumps and, 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 and just learning just a vast amount of learning. Um, I, I, I can't believe I, I had, I to do it over. I I'm sure I would do the same thing, but I would really think a moment <laughs> <laughs> signed up for all this yeah because it was just tremendous tremendous learning but the benefit now is that i can help my clients and understand what their lives are like mm. when they encounter these new challenges and road bumps and so forth and try to make their lives easier so i would say rather than points of let it, it was just an exploratory constantly changing exploratory um learning about the markets and the world of entrepreneurs from scratch. Because hmm. when I worked at, at these big, big companies, it's a completely different education. And when I taught the MBAs, that's a completely different experience education. It's almost while the technical skills are there, understanding what an entrepreneur has to go through and learn is just, uh, it's crazy. It's, it's nonstop learning, hmm. even now. It's just nonstop innovation, nonstop learning. And uh, I feel like in order to help clients currently, I got to keep learning. Mm. So I pursue different way, self-development uh, avenues to improve my skills. And as time goes on, I'm finding those skills become much, much more intrinsic, meaning the business strategy stuff, I, I've got that down pretty good. Mm. but it's the internal um, elements of being a human, uh, internal elements of relating to other people, the internal elements of understanding my own uh, limitations and strengths and attitudes and behaviors and everything. The more I understand that, uh, the easier it is for me to uh, understand other people and to help them. So it's for me, the, these points of leverage have changed to higher, what I guess call higher levels of thinking. Um, Maslow uh, described it as self-actualization, which mm. is the point you get to when all your needs are really met, your needs of- uh, Shelter, housing, food. Yes, exactly. Right. And even the psychological needs are met. Then you're at a point where you're thinking- uh, What else can I do? Yes, yeah, you're on the mountaintop with uh, a yoga, uh, or yogi, right? You know, chanting. It's like it's like the Renaissance, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Where they had like time to think and and really develop their their minds on yeah. certain topics. Yeah, um, yeah. So those are the points of leverage for me now, and it's changed from basics, like which organization should I join? Hmm. Where am I going to meet business owners? How can I um, get my? Um, uh, how can I make what I do known? So I did a lot of lectures and speaking engagements for for a while um and they were great they were very helpful but it taught me more just to prepare a lesson for an mba class or to prepare a speech for a group of business people 
um, took, helped me learn the material that I didn't, you know, in a more deep way. Um, had I not done that, I wouldn't have learned, learned some of these concepts as well. And then it later, it turned more, more into intrinsic, uh, having to do with self and, uh, emotion and mm. how my brain works and so forth. And it feels to me like it's in a much higher level, um, but appropriate. I love learning that stuff. It's almost like a good, a good place to be because your, your personal life at this point seems to have like dovetail very well with the business in that yeah. improving yourself, you also right. improve your ability to consult with business. Right. So right. it's like a, it's right. Like, so you, right. So you have one goal, but right. it serves many purposes, Yes. which is very, You're absolutely a, correct. A good place to be. Exactly. I feel very fortunate to, to have that dynamic at work at play. Hmm. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that people don't think enough about and maybe you've experienced this in the past i find myself sometimes caught up in either the day-to-day -day stuff and get into that point of self-actualization mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. you're no longer in the rigmarole of things that in quotes things that have to get done mm -hmm. but you're one step beyond that thinking okay how does this look long-term? Mm -hmm. How do I build something? Mm -hmm. And it's almost intrinsic mm -hmm. to the concept of an entrepreneur. That's what they're like. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be necessarily stuck in all the day-to-day. -day. Mm. That's why they're maybe trying to hire people. They want to have be at that mm. next level mm -hmm. where they kind of glance out mm -hmm. and say, okay, what is, what is possible for this? Mm -hmm. So maybe is, is that a conversation that, that you have maybe with yourself, but also with your clients? Mm -hmm. like, what vision do I have for oh, yeah. the future oh, of yeah. this business? Oh yeah. And getting in touch both myself and my clients helping both of us get in touch with what that is mm. on a deep and truthful way. Cause people have a, and myself included, have a way of uh, distorting what we're thinking we're seeing, which isn't necessarily accurate. Mm. It sounds like you, you give that a great deal of thought yourself. Yeah. What, for you, what is the vision that you see for Lloyd Scott in maybe the next five, 10 years or so? What, what do you envision of how, of transformation as far as the business goes? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I see myself as, uh, and I didn't develop this concept of infinite versus finite business, but I see myself as an infinite business, not, not that it, it will never end, but that I don't have a specific like financial goal. I don't have a specific, uh, my, my, my goal is to enjoy the process mm. to continue to help people, entrepreneurs and companies to, um, be happier and function better and be more successful, whatever that means to them. Uh, that drives me. Mm. I, I love that. I love that. And, um, so to continue doing more of that and continue to get better at it and see my clients get improve and get better at their, in their lives so that they're more successful. Um, that, you know, it's as opposed to a specific economic or um, I just love what I do. I, by accident, I kind of, maybe not so much by accident, but it kind of feels that way at times. I've kind of orchestrated a life for myself that 
is perfect hmm. for for me. It gives me time for music, to play guitar, it gives me time for photography, for family, for friends. And I feel like I'm in control. We talked about that element earlier. Right. I feel like I have control over what I'm doing. And the, and the independence to do all those things. Yeah. I mean, how fortunate. Yeah. For me, at least. How fortunate am I? I give up certain things. I mean, I could make a lot more money if I worked in the industry. Mm. Uh, they pay very, very well. And for people with my skill level and background, but I'd rather do this. I'd rather help entrepreneurs and, and companies and, and keep this kind of lifestyle. I mean, that's, that's very um, inspiring to hear because a, a question that often gets thrown around is, do you love what you do? Mm. And it sounds like you fall into that category, not only as far yeah. as your work, but as, mm. also as far as your your side gigs, as far as your music, as far yeah. as your photography. So it's really cool yeah. how you, you've manufactured this and orchestrated this life for yourself Yeah, that you can do all these different things and they're all things that you love. So mm -hmm. to kind of piggyback off that, do you think there are a lot of people who, when faced with that question of, do you love what you do? Mm. Do you think um, they do, first of all? And second of all, do you think that they trick themselves into saying they love what they do? Meaning, I think, I think, <laughs> I think the initial response yeah. sometimes, unless it's just an awful job, yeah. Do you love what you do? It's yeah. almost they feel like they have to say yes. Yeah. But yeah. Do you really like if you? Yeah. But then they riddle off like five other things that they would rather yeah. be doing than their job. Yeah. And right. You know. Right. It's really fun, and that ties into a concept. Um, I agree that many don't love what they do and some do many, many do. But I think that uh, one element in business that kind of ties into what you're saying is you ask employers what they need to do to hire people or keep people. Hmm. Invariably, they say we need to pay them more. Hmm. When you ask employees and really get deep into what's driving them, it has nothing to do with the money. Hmm. It's all of these other intrinsic things that keep them. And so um, especially now in, in the scarcity uh, climate, um, I think it's that intrinsic satisfaction that um, drives a lot of people. And especially with the pandemic, um, people, I, I believe, are a little bit more introspective than they were. And there was a, in fact, there was a point you had mentioned, points of leverage, and this idea of being able to do all the things that one one wants. There was a point where um, I my music had gotten to the point where I hadn't had an opportunity to at least audition for a terrific music uh, spot. Some a performer who died mm. and who's pretty well known and. I'm sure they had a lot of options. I was on the list of people who they wanted to audition. So they said, and I've known these guys for many, many years getting to this point, to that point. Only that was a situation where there were two passions to me that were almost equal, hmm. doing the consulting and playing with this band. And um, that was a tough decision. Hmm. Not that I would have gotten the position sure but just to be considered for an audition of the grateful dead was like 
to me uh, a dream that that came true you know but uh that was the only time in my career that i've ever veered from doing the consulting and uh, i decided to withdraw my name and just stay with the uh, consulting i thought it'd be a lot more stable and i didn't want to live at a hotel room nor did i think i would get the part sure you know but it's pretty uh, impressive nonetheless well i you know <laughs> thank you but uh so um so that that was the only like major thing that happened in in my career that was a tough uh that was in 95 hmm. after after jerry died um so but that's an interesting point the only thing that even rivaled mm -hmm. what you were currently doing yeah was a a, a hobby or a, a music thing that had been a part of your life for a while yeah that had grown and you were really yeah. good at this thing it was yeah. the only thing that rivaled you doing the, the consulting. Thing. Yeah. So it, it's it's a good it's a good sign that consulting is probably a good place <laughs> to be then. Yeah. Well, it was lots. I had I had kids who were younger. I thought I'd have to move out to San Francisco, and um, how would the band ever be successful? Would would fans ever accept a different brand? You can have the brand name. Sure. But you can't, you know, that's an interesting, you know, perspective with your, with your background. You I don't know? care what my guitar and voice sounded like. It's not the same brand. Sure. Yeah. So that's really I, interesting. I, I felt like I would be rejected hmm. uh, regardless. It, even if they closed their eyes and they couldn't tell the difference, didn't matter. Hmm. I would be rejected. So I sort of took self-destructed on that one, maybe saved myself uh, <laughs> we, you know who knows so he's sitting on the street with a cup in san francisco now, <laughs> you, know, you know free consulting over here just <laughs> so typically at this point we do a, a what's called a quick question round so yeah. we'll kind of run through a five quick questions okay. get your initial feedback right. um so the first one is what is the coolest thing that you've seen lately now we're talking business or anything. So it could be that? business related. It could be your setup here with this. Um, yeah. Um, you know, this is the coolest thing you've yeah. seen recently. Well, recent, how recently? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'll, I'll take it. That's good. <laughs> I like it. You and your setup is just awesome. <laughs> I appreciate I that. I was impressed. The, the coolest thing I've seen recently, there yeah. was a, um, a new show coming to Apple TV. Right. I don't know if you've watched planet earth at all. Uh, no, I haven't. So basically it's like a documentary. You go to different regions of the world, do very, very high quality vide videography of these mm. regions and the animals that live there. Mm. But Apple TV is mm -hmm. doing that. And I guess they use CGI or something, mm -hmm. but for the prehistoric mm. era. So wow. like dinosaur. So, I mean, I'm a huge Jurassic Park person. I love Jurassic Park. Oh, then you're in store. Then this is yeah. this is up my alley. But that was the coolest thing All I've right, seen. I'll That's check awesome. That out. I'll check that out. Um, are there any any tools that you use on a day to day basis that you couldn't live without? I love the Apple software hmm. and hardware. I think it's fabulous. And they finally got their act together with this latest MacBook Pro. Hmm. They put in some super chips. It allows me to do all kinds of. Uh, editing it's small it's light they took care of their keyboard problem and and their their technology is fabulous for for me i mm. deeply bought into their system and it's helped my productivity um and ability to get get stuff done seamlessly so what about you so for me 
I'm, I'm a big fan of tools. I think I use several. Um, I have a, a CRM tool that mm-hmm. I use um, called Redtail, and that's that's great. It's just for you know contact stuff, keeping mm-hmm. keeping mm-hmm. notes, yeah. keeping contact information. Right. That's revolutionary for me. Oh, nice. I also use a um, it's, it's like a, a system of boards and cards electronically. It's called Trello, mm-hmm. and it's just a way to organize. Oh yeah, yeah. Thoughts, notes, things of that I nature. I love that. Yeah, I, I use that all, that all the time. Yeah. Um, so those are probably the two biggest ones right now that have okay. the biggest impact on, on what I'm doing. Okay. Um, and then for, for you in, in your business, it sounds like from our conversation that you're in a spot where you're pretty content in a lot of what yeah, you're doing, I think so. but are, are there any changes that you're looking to make over the next say quarter or, or year or so? That's a very, very good question. Um, Not really. <laughs> that's good. I'm very happy. Yeah, that's I good. Mean, my my personal life, family life. Uh, uh, I I love working with my clients. I absolutely. I still have clients uh, that I'm working with now. That like my second client. I'm still working mm. with them, and you know some some companies for twenty twenty five years, and I just love working. The connections become valuable to me, important to me. I want to see them do well but it transcends business. Mm. So I just love that. I don't want to stay with that. That's good. That's a great place to be. And then um, finally, what is your favorite beverage? You mean other than Fiddlehead? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, You mean alcoholic? Um, or otherwise, or any, otherwise. any, any beverage that you, you find yourself gravitating towards. Can I, can I answer two parts? Sure. One is not a beverage. It's a bar called the keep bar. I found them at Costco huh. and then ended up buying $900 worth of them because they were going to stop stocking them. Really? For gosh sakes. Yeah. They're so like what, what awesome. is, what, what is the keep bar? Low glycemic, very low sugar, high fiber, all natural, organic, tasty, not that tasty, but, but it's okay. enough. Enough. Right? It's like <laughs> substitute for dessert. And it's right. like, just, I love them. So I got boxes of them all over my house now. So, so they have since stopped making them? No, but they, when you get them on the web, they were like two or three times the price of what Costco had them at. Oh, I gotcha. So I was like, <laughs> just grab what I could. <clears throat> so, um, so that's uh, beverage wise. Uh, let's see. I've been enjoying, uh, Pellegrino. Mm. I just made a trip to Italy to go biking. So now I'm very pro uh, Italian beverages. Like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Occasionally, I mean, alcoholic, if I, alcohol wise, I might uh, like uh, Kettle One vodka mm. or, um, and beer, beer wise, sticking with, uh, speaking of New England, I go way back with Sam Adams, their basic lager. I really, mm. really like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, thank you so much, Lloyd, for coming on today. I, welcome. I, I really appreciate the time. Um, so for the next few moments, is there anything you want to plug or advertise for yourself? This time is yours. Not really. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Um, I, I really enjoyed our chat, Greg. We met uh, not too long ago, and I, I felt this kinship with you. I just thought you're a great guy, and I uh, was impressed. So I'm thrilled that you asked me to uh, 
to do this uh, with you. And so you made it very easy. It's the first podcast I've done. So thank cool. You. Well, I thank appreciate you. that so much, Lloyd. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms, and you will get notifications wherever new, whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us, our email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com. And if you follow us on Instagram, it's at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Sobosinski, and you've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. 